It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. A very good morning to you as we welcome you along to Monday morning's edition of Cork Today. John Paul is back with us, nice and relaxed and rested after his week off. So he's back taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, texts and WhatsApps already coming into us. Thank you for those. 0862-103-103. Let me just stay with weather uh, though, because it seems most of the country is going to be basking in uh, sunshine uh, today and we are set for another week of fine weather. I'm looking out the window and it's cloud but the cloud you can see is breaking up and I can see lovely blue skies uh, behind it. They're saying today temperatures 17, 21, 22 degrees at most around the country. Nice warm day and this fine spell of weather is going to continue right into the week. Tomorrow is going to be another fine warm uh, sunny day in most parts of the country, not just here in Cork. Temperatures are going to be 23 degrees tomorrow and Met Aaron are saying Wednesday will be a warm and a dry summer's day. Again, they're saying Wednesday there'll be prolonged spells of sunshine. In the southwest though, there could be a few showers but there'll be very light showers on Wednesday. Temperatures even higher kind of climbing as the week goes on. Wednesday they're going to be 20 up to 24 degrees uh, Celsius and Thursday at the moment looks like it is going to be the hottest day of the year so far. Met Aaron are saying temperatures in some parts of the country on Thursday could hit a scorching 25 degrees. That really is fantastic weather. The early indications then are Friday will start off warm and predominantly dry so a nice sunny morning but on settled weather is going to arrive. Now it'll start in the southwest and it'll spread right across the country as we move through Friday and that's going to bring kind of the first significant rainfall for this week so we won't be expecting that until uh, Friday which means that at this point in time now it could change yet but at this point the weekend is looking, next weekend is looking to be a very unsettled with some heavy showers but that, well, listen that may, that may change but certainly from here 
If you're planning anything outdoors, you've got a good week between now and uh, Friday. And Irish Water are out already issuing a conservation appeal that's in advance of what they say is an anticipated summer surge of demand in water supplies. And listen, I've just been talking about the good weather that's been forecast this week, so there will be more uh, water usage. We've got the children all on their school holidays. Staycation season has begun and Irish Water saying supplies are expected to come under increase. Increased uh, pressure. Now, so far, obviously, there's been no major problems, and that could have a lot to do with the fact that we had uh, a rather wet May and uh, we had a very slow start to the fine weather. So that's kept supplies all over the country at normal levels. But what Irish Water are saying today, they're asking people, please do not use paddling pools at home any time over the summer months. Now, with the weather fine this week, if you've got children at home and you've got a paddling pool, I think you're going to have a big argument on your hands as to why you're not going to fill up the paddling pool. Tom Cuddy is with Irish Water. He's in the papers today saying every effort should be made to ensure a reliable water, or every measure will be made to ensure a, a reliable water supply for the summer. But he says we are asking the public to please take note of their water usage and to conserve the water where possible. Twice in the past four summers, Irish Water has had to issue drought warnings. But we have to go back to 2018 for the last really hot summer. And that was the year they had a hose pipe ban in. Uh, and that ran throughout most of the summer and it was all over the country and gardens were getting absolutely scorched. Uh, so that was 2018. That was the last one. It would be lovely if we had a nice summer. But please, message from Irish Water is to conserve our water. 1850 Already seeing texts in from... People saying they're getting the scam calls. Are we ever going to see an end to these scam calls? It seems to be the Department of Social Protection is the one that people are getting calls from this morning. As always, you know what to do, block and ignore. And I've had a letter into the programme. Can anybody tell me who's responsible, please, for the care and upkeep of Kilshanik Graveyard? Because somebody has written to the programme to say that they went recently to Kilshanik Graveyard and they were really taken aback at the condition of it. Now, this listener said that they were in Kilshanik Graveyard a couple of years ago and it was on one of the open days when there was lectures given on the history of Kilshanik Graveyard. And our listener says on that particular day, the graveyard was immaculate. People were able to walk among the graves and the headstones. The church was open on that day and there was a talk given about the uses because obviously that church is no longer used for uh, religious services. But on a recent visit, our listener says the grass is higher than the headstones stones and it's impossible to walk through to visit uh, the graves. The text there, the listener says that in that particular graveyard is the Omalan tomb and the Omalan tomb is of significance because it's where Daniel O'Connell's mother is buried with her family of the O'Malans. Now, says this listener, the tombs are so dirty, it's a shame to see the condition of the place. After all the love and care that had been put into it for those open days, the path from the gate is grand, but that's where it stops. But grass so high that it's gone over the graveyards. And the listener wants to know who is responsible for the upkeep of Kilshanik Graveyard. Anybody know? Because I know we've had issues with old graveyards before and I'm assuming that this Kishanik graveyard is a very old graveyard and we have had really, really 
fantastic local people who in some cases they had loved ones buried there in others they didn't they just felt it was kind of a social responsibility they had to the care of the dead and people went in and they organised sort of cleanups of graveyards but that was just you know like local tidy towns groups and other little committees got together and, and worked on their local graveyards but I don't know can anybody tell us who is responsible for Kilchanik graveyard and why is it in the condition that it appears to be in now when a few years ago on open days it appeared to be in immaculate condition if anybody can offer advice on that we'd be very interested to hear from you Mavis says morning Patricia we actually had a host pipe band in Clonakilty last uh, year you did indeed Mavis I remember that I think when I was talking about the last nationwide host pipe band was in 2018 when we had a kind of a scorcher of a summer uh, but there was yeah there has been areas where they had issues with water where host pipe bands are introduced so you are absolutely correct thank you for your text Mavis to 0862 103 Three and looking for listeners' thoughts and comments on the reopening of indoor hospitality and a decision on that is imminent. According to the papers today, the government is ruling out what some are describing as a halfway uh, house. Instead, ministers are looking likely to agree to a two-week delay to the planned reopening. Pubs and restaurants indoors were due to reopen this day next week, the 5th of July. Some will say they're still due to reopen this day next week, the 5th of July. It now looks like they'll dovetail into two weeks after that, July the 19th, and dovetail into the return of air travel across the EU. One government spokesperson, uh, according to the papers today, said the argument for a vaccine bonus, this would be to allow people who are fully vaccinated to be able to go in and have meals and drinks uh, inside one government source is saying that may seem like a very tempting idea but it will fall down on so many fronts they include how to establish the customers who are fully vaccinated I mean even if you were to do it on a certain age group so you would you'd set the admission that only people over the age of 50 would be allowed in the argument is that it would jeopardise public support for the overall campaign and of course people in their 60s would say well I'm going to take we're still waiting desperately on our second jab in order to be deemed fully vaccinated the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan said the main problem would be how to tell the vaccine status of diners or drinkers. You'd be having, you would be having in every pub and every restaurant people having to show evidence as to who's vaccinated and who's not and it would just be an absolute nightmare. Now advice is awaited from Neffet. They're going to meet today. Now they brought forward their meeting. They were not due to meet until Wednesday of this week. They will be looking at modelling on the projected advance of the Delta variant. So they're having their meeting today. The National Immunisation Advisory Committee NIAC, they're separately meeting today and they are, the government are asking them to advise on the use of any available vaccines to help get all those aged between 60 and 69 who need the second dose of AstraZeneca to make sure that they all get their vaccine before the Delta variant takes over in Ireland. They obviously also have been asked to look at the spare AstraZeneca after July 19th. There is going to be tens of thousands of AstraZeneca and Janssen and Janssen vaccines that we won't have anyone to give them to because at the moment we can't give them to anybody under the age of 50 and the government now, well I know Tony Hoolan is asking Nayak to say can we start looking at giving both of those vaccines to the younger age cohort so I'll be interested to see what Nayak come out with on uh, on that, on what to do with those additional uh, stocks. And then the government 
This is the timeline of what's to happen today. So we've got Neffet and Nyack meeting uh, today. They'll then they make their recommendation to the government. The government will decide tomorrow then on the reopening of the indoor hospitality or more likely what people are now saying uh, a fortnight's delay. The Cabinet Subcommittee. Now the Cabinet Subcommittee, this is the COVID Cabinet Subcommittee. This is the important group because that's got all of the three coalition party uh, leaders, various other representatives of the government. They spoke by phone last night that meeting will take place probably tonight after the Neffet advice and the modelling advice is received. And the Taoiseach yesterday, he was speaking on the Week in Politics a programme on TV and he, he struck a, a, a no, um, an optimistic note without giving anything away. He said the calculus is different now because everyone is saying, oh, we can't make the same mistake that we made back at Christmas when we opened up the country to international travel we, and we allow people to mingle in their homes and we let people have a normal Christmas. He's saying the risk is very different now to what it was at Christmas time. The main difference being between now and Christmas time is we have 2.5 million people fully vaccinated with close to 4 million overall vaccines being administered. The older age court have been protected uh, so all of that has fed into the decisions that will be made today or tomorrow. Restaurant Association of Ireland, they of course at the end of last week and across the weekend were calling on the government to make the decision known within the next 48 hours as outlets were facing questions on perishable goods, also on short notice postponement would mean the further cost uh, to businesses, you know, buying in stock and rehiring staff as well. Mio Martin said he's he's understood just how difficult and devastating the last year has been for hospitality in particular. He said, we get that. We also understand we need to give early notice. He said they will know a little bit earlier than they had anticipated. So it looks like the decision will be made tomorrow, Tuesday, which would be 48 hours ahead of the timescale. The decision was due to be never to meet Wednesday, Cabinet Subcommittee to meet probably Wednesday night and then the full Cabinet to meet on Thursday. So it would have been Thursday evening before we're hearing anything. So it looks like it'll be Tuesday evening uh, instead. But Micheál Martin says, we are going to be cautious. We are going to put the protection of lives as a priority. But also we know from the economic perspective that the approach we've taken so far has been effective and it has been successful. And You know, he went on to talk about, look, We've brought children back to school. We've brought construction back. Personal services have reopened. Retail is opened. Hotels and so on. And he said we've done it all without dramatically causing any spike in COVID numbers. He says we've shown that that sort of steady return of the economy is sustainable. The mantra has always been when we open, we want to keep it open. But Miho Martin said he wanted to hear the advice and to see the modelling done in respect of the Delta variant and how cases might grow in the future. He acknowledged, however, that if there is a further delay to reopening Ireland, we will be the only country in Europe that will not have indoor dining when July arrives. And he says he's also very conscious of that. Your thoughts are welcomed on who, you, wh- where are you sitting on the fence on this one? Do you want to see the reopening? Do we just have to learn to live with COVID? Bearing in mind, as Mio Martin says, we are in a very different situation. The very vulnerable are protected now. So should the rest of society be, be allowed to just get on with it? And should we be back with indoor dining? And I'm assuming everyone has nothing but sympathy for the hospitality sector. Are are you on the side of the fence? Look, we've come this far. 
why jeopardise it now for the sake of another two weeks? Are they right to hold off and bring them all in together, international travel and the reopening of indoor dining and do it all from the 19th of July? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We've just mentioned there now appears to be a growing expectation among senior government ministers and officials that NEFIT today will recommend a delay to the reopening of pubs and restaurants indoors due to start this day next week, July 5th, by between two and three weeks. But not all elected representatives are in favour of this. In Cork North Centre, Fianna Fáil Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan has called for the reopening to proceed as planned. And Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan joins me. Good morning to you, Podrick. Morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe enough vulnerable people are vaccinated to allow us to reopen safely indoors this day next week? Well, about 40% of the total adult population is now vaccinated, you know. So, like, obviously, with the way we, that we've proceeded with the vaccination process, we've vaccinated the most the elderly and the most vulnerable first. They're, they're, they're expecting that in the next two to three weeks that the vast majority of people that would have received AstraZeneca's first dose will have received their second dose in the next two to three weeks. So on that basis, the vast majority of those elderly and most vulnerable will have been vaccinated within that period. So, um, look, I, I, I do so believe... Therefore, that sorry, so therefore, why not wait then that two to three weeks just to make sure that they've all had their second shots? Yeah, well, we're vaccinating nearly, you know, three or four hundred thousand a week at this stage. And let's be honest about it, the age cohort of people that we're talking about here are probably, you know, amongst the most responsible um, and cautious people in society in that I don't necessarily think that if pubs are, are going to reopen on July the 5th or, or any other hospitality for that matter, I think those people are still going to have the same kind of cautious approach that the, last, that the vast majority of them have had. Throughout, throughout this period so I don't think that essentially that those people are going to go mad just because pubs are open on July the 5th So it's the younger generation are the ones that are going to be heading out and want to go out Well look it's not for me to, to, to say who does want to go out and who doesn't want to go out I suppose look so many people have been locked up for so long you know different people will have different reasons for either going to a pub a restaurant or any other uh, hospitality for that matter um, but I do believe that you know we're talking about you know people's jobs, people's livings, um, you know, and this type of kind of brinkmanship I don't think is helpful. I do welcome the fact that, you know, that the meeting of the Cabinet and NEFIT has been brought forward, you know, to make that decision as soon as possible. That's welcome, to be welcomed. But, um, you know, like we are talking about people that have to, you know, make orders in advance of reopening um, and that there, you know, that there's money depending on this and people's livelihoods. Do you, oh, ha- do you have huge sympathy for the businesses in the hospitality sector? It's almost like they've been in limbo, for the, particularly for the last few weeks, not knowing where they're going to open. And they still, even at this moment in time, don't know when they're going to reopen. Yeah, I do have sympathy, but I suppose, look, and we would have met with many restaurateurs and, and publicans over the last number of months, but sympathy isn't what they want. Um, they want to reopen. And let's be fair about it. Anyone that I, any restaurant or pub that I've been in, um, you know, albeit for outdoor dining, and I do stay in a hotel when I'm in Dublin. It's very safe. Uh, people are very, very, you know, stringent on the rules. Things are being implemented correctly, you know, in terms of what protocols people are following. And I think that publicans and restaurateurs would be no, no different in that respect. So, I like, sympathy isn't enough for these people anymore, and it's okay to put in 
measures, grants, um, restart grants and so on. But ultimately, these people want to be open. They want people back in their doors and they want their, their staff back as well. And that's another difficulty that many of them will face. Um, it is difficult to get a lot of that staff back. Um, and it's not, again, it's not something that could be flicked like a switch. These people need steady lead in time. They've had that. July 5th was the date. Um, so I would ask that, you know, that would be adhered to. And, and as I said, these people will implement those rules as safe as safe can be. I think that I was looking at some analysis over the weekend that, you know, um, I think only, you know, a handful of cases have been attributable to people staying in hotels or to people, you know, engaging in outdoor dining. So although we are very concerned about the Delta variant, I do believe that case numbers are relatively low here. Hospitalizations are very low as well. I, I do think that there's a fair shout that we should proceed as planned. Yeah, I can see uh, some texts coming in. A number of listeners are agreeing with you. Somebody saying we just have to learn to live with COVID. How long can we stay locked down for? Someone else saying we will be the only country in Europe not to have indoor dining. That's a crazy situation. But then somebody else says you've got to remember the prevalence of the Delta variant. Uh, is Patrick not worried about the Delta variant? Of course, I am. Of course, I'm worried. Um, the one thing I would say about your previous messages there is, yeah, we do have you know a fairly strict um, you know policy in regards to the reopening we have, and we've been very cautious as a nation. But it also must be said that Ireland, in terms of you know deaths per hundred thousand as per the EU average, is well below the EU average. You know, so there, you know, people can can criticise you know the restrictions that we've had, but there has to be an acknowledgement that Ireland as a country, has had one of the lower death rates in the EU. Um, so it's not a case of one or the other. It's a case of, you know, finding the right policy per country. And I, you, throughout this pandemic, like, nobody here is an expert. Well, you know, like those in the public health and so on are, are the experts and those medical scientists. But many of the politicians, like myself, were not experts in this. We're simply expressing opinions that we believe, you know, is the best way to proceed. And on that basis, I don't think that you can compare Ireland directly to other countries, as many people seem to do. I think that's a bit lazy. Um, and we can only, like, Ireland but is we, Ireland. But we can look to what to see what happens in other countries. I mean, that's what the modelling, a lot of the modelling is going to go on, uh, is looking to see how the Delta variant took off, say, in our nearest neighbour across the water in England. Well, in that respect, definitely. And there's no doubt about it that the Delta variant is far more transmissible than, you know, previous variants. And no doubt that there will be variants to come that will be equally as dangerous. And that's why the vaccination process is the key thing here. It's what, you know, what we as a government have said all along, the sooner we get people vaccinated. And we have a very good track record in that as well. And to be fair, when the vaccines are delivered, they're distributed fairly quickly. And now with the pharmacies um, opening up as well for um, vaccination, you know, things are really have really taken off. And as I said, that most vulnerable cohort, those particularly in receipt of AstraZeneca, their second dose, the vast majority of those will have received that second dose in the next two to three weeks. Well, yeah, July 19th, I think, is the date that Paul Reid expects them all uh, to have received it. Okay, do we assume that whatever Neffert recommend today, Podrick, is what the government will go with? Not necessarily. I suppose, look, the Taoiseach would be on the record. I think I listened to an interview to him yesterday as well on RT that, you know, Neffert give advice and it's up to the government and the cabinet to take that advice and um, either adopt it, change it or amend it as they so as they so wish. So not necessarily a given. Um that said, all the media reports over the weekend would suggest that we're heading inevitably to possibly a postponement. Um and if that's the case then 
for those businesses affected, I do I really do think that you know appropriate measures need to be taken in 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 the form of grants and subsidies and whatever else may be deemed necessary. They'll, they'll have to be implemented because uh, I believe that the, the tarnish has suggested that um, this is a minimum two weeks, and that has supposed leaves the door that it could go beyond that, which which again you know is worrying for those businesses. Okay, you've upset some of the 60 to 69 year olds who are waiting on their second jab. Somebody says, Patricia, we would love to be able to go out and eat in restaurants and cafes, but we are in that cohort, 60 plus, who are waiting on our second vaccines, which means we won't be safe if they do decide to open up indoors. And Nicola said, what a selfish attitude. 60 to 69 year olds still work and have to come in contact with young people. Yes, we are responsible, but we need to be protected. We already, I feel, have the least affected vaccine. I'm so angry. I understand how hospitality needs to open. I understand livelihoods are at stake, but please don't dismiss the 60 to 69 year olds, says uh, Nicola. That age group are really feeling hard done by, Podrick. Yeah, and I suppose, look, I'm certainly not trying to dismiss anybody. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that the vast majority of those people will be vaccinated in the coming weeks and be able to get on with their lives. It must also be said that, you know, if we do post July 19th, if we do start to welcome international travellers back into this country, there's going to be an influx of people um, from abroad, you know, that will, you know, need places to stay, need places to eat and so on. Um, so there's going to be a, a pent-up pressure on the existing facilities that are open. And I think that, you know, a wider reopening, as was initially envisaged, will help cater for that increased demand also. OK, have we a timeline and when we can expect a decision to be announced tomorrow, Podrick? I, I don't want to be honest, no. Patricia. And it's probably, I I evening, probably evening time like it normally is. Is it around tea time? I, I, I honestly don't know. Okay. And I suppose I wouldn't predict what, you know, what might come out of it. As I said, the Cabinet might, you know, the Cabinet might discuss whatever recommendations they could make and that could go on for, you know, yeah. until tomorrow. And who knows, there might be a few leaks later on this evening that we'll keep a listen out for. Just on a different topic, Patrick, where we have you on the line. I saw yep. last week you're worried about the illegal and negligent use of scramblers and quad bikes. Talk to me about your concerns around scramblers and quad bikes. Yeah, so look, particularly in the north side of Cork City, we'd have a number of incidents every year of, you know, Gardaí having to either, you know, um, take vehicles off people, be it quad bikes or scramblers, um, Many of these incidents, people would not have, you know, insurance or tax, tax on those vehicles. So there are various incidents throughout the year, and it was that that press release, I suppose, that I issued was in response to an, an article in the Examiner, um, which was covering the topic. And I suppose it's just letting people know that legislation is on the way. It's currently a committee stage. It's been approved by cabinet to go forward to committee stage. So it's in pre-legislative scrutiny. And so they were hoping to have it signed off by the end of the summer for the doll recess, but it might go on till September, but ultimately that legislation is coming. Um, and the focus on that would be to give Gardaí increased powers to, um, you know, take vehicles off people that are being unused in an illegal manner. But also, I suppose, in a positive way to open a number of youth diversion projects across the country in areas where these vehicles are being used or misused, as the case may be, and providing, I suppose, a safe uh, and legal facility for the use of these vehicles. Okay, and it's also fair to say in some cases it's it's juveniles. Parents need to kind of cop on a little bit uh, and stop buying these bikes and scramblers. Well, I think of the 19 incidents reported in the county and city, or primarily the city this year, of the 19 incidents, I think about five of those incidents related to adults being detained on those bikes. So 
it is primarily, you know, an issue for younger people, younger males in particular, but there are a number of cases where males engage in it too. Okay. And okay. like you said, this isn't a sport like where people, you know, it's not like football where you just go out and kick a ball. These machines often cost two, three, four thousand yeah, euros. Yeah, they're not cheap. They're certainly not yeah. cheap. Okay, all right, listen, Porrick, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good thank morning you. to you. That is uh, Deputy Porrick O'Sullivan, uh, Fianna Fáil, Cork, North Central, and says, Patricia, there are only 24% of the 60 to 69 age cohort fully vaccinated. So I think next week is far too early to open up. And that is from Anne. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, according to this week's Southern Star newspaper, a retired judge has slammed a proposal to move family law cases out of the county and into the city. Former Judge Conor Leary says it will cause unnecessary hardship for many people. Joining me with the views of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project, I'm joined by Marie Mulholland. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Lovely to speak to you. Well, again. always a pleasure to speak with you as well. Now, the proposal is to put in place regional family courts. They say because facilities at district courts are inadequate. So let's talk about that first. Would you agree that the current facilities are totally inadequate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you probably are aware and your listeners are aware. We spend a great deal of time in court. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're looking at we're buildings that are over a hundred years old. More than that, there's not even in most of the, the the district courts here in West Cork. There's not even a room that we can take our clients to where they can sit quietly and privately until they're called in. So they're actually most people, all cases are standing in hallways, um, sometimes out on the street, um, and. Bear in mind that we're with somebody who is in fear of their life from their abuser and they're about to go to court with their abuser and they're maybe standing out in the street. So we spend a lot of our time just being physical barriers between the client, the victim, and the abuser because there's nowhere in the court to sit quietly and privately until you're called. And you're also... Um, with regard to the court services here, despite some of the best efforts of one of our local judges here, we are still being um, held in court for whole days waiting to be called because all other kinds of cases are coming up in front of the judge. So it can be traffic offences, it can be theft, it can be drug offences. And you're sitting there with a client at the back of the room or out in the hallway or out on the street waiting to be called. And we have to be there for 10.30 and sometimes it's 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock oh before our God. case is actually called. Oh, my God. So, so you, how it, much... It's how a, it can be a nightmare. It's a, it's a real drain on resources anyway. Um, but so there does need to be a, a complete review of how certainly family law is done in West Cork. So how much I'm not necessarily are, saying that these new um, proposals are the way to go, but certainly it has needed to be reviewed and it needs to be examined for some time. And there needs to be specialist family law courts where there's a judge who has a, a speci- who has a specialism in family law who can hear those cases and only those types of cases. We are not sitting there among people who are drug dealing or taking drugs or have been found guilty of drunk driving or theft or whatever. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough time. I mean, most of our clients have never been in a courtroom in their lives and neither they're trying to get some protection from the court. So what are you suggesting, that they set aside days where it would only be family law? 
Yeah, and one of our one of our local judges, Judge McNulty, has tried to do that to the best of his ability. But certainly, because of the the number of cases, it's not always possible to do that. And so, you you very rarely do you get a whole day where it's just family law. There's always something else going on. And in fact, most of the time, you're there with all the other cases. Also, you've got the the, the the problem, which is that our district courts are quite widespread, so you're talking Skibbering, Clonakilty, Band, and McCroom, and you might be from Burra, and the next court hearing is possibly in McCroom, so you've got to get your way to McCroom, or you've got to get to Clon, you've got to get to Bandon. So, uh, accessibility, transport, all of those things all come into play, but they're also going to come into play if family law courts, and they're really going to come into play if the family law courts are sent to the city. Yeah, and it's not just going to be West Cork. You know, they're talking about East Cork Mm -hmm. and North Cork as well. So, I mean, obviously the journey times would cause a a lot of hardship. And I suppose while the intentions of the Department of Justice is honourable, they may not realise, Marie, how remote some areas, particularly how remote some areas of West Cork can be and how far away from the city a person actually lives. Absolutely. I mean, if you're coming from somewhere like Cape Clear or Sherkin and your ferries and buses... To get as well, and then and a, and a very kind of fractured kind of timetable for all of that, and you've got childcare to think about as well, or you're maybe having to give up a day's work to be able to attend court. You know, all it's the implications for ordinary people are massive, and nobody thinks these things through from that perspective. But I think that the, there's a, a other elements to this as well, which really do need to be considered, which is when you're doing family law cases, that's going to be things like child protection. It's going to be uh, protective orders and barring orders that we're, we're involved in. It's going to be custody and access and maintenance cases. But that's also going to require that guards are taken out of your, your jurisdiction. That's a good for instance, point. West Coast, yeah, they're yeah. going to have to go to the city and yeah. stand all day and wait for the case to be called. Social workers. If it's child protection issues, they're going to be called out of West Cork and they're going to be standing around in the city all day waiting for their cases to be called. So already, you know, we know, we know, and your, 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 your listeners know that here in these rural areas of Cork, we have very stretched services already and under-resourced services. And this is going to drain them even more. Do you believe so that this proposal that. can be reversed? I think that actually, I think that there's a way of doing it and keeping the proposal on the table. I think there's two options here. One is to provide more resources to the services who will have to support people going to court. And that, like for me, I mean, for instance, if I if I have a, a support worker going to court, that's it. They're going for the day. You know, they're going to go to court. They're gone for the day. As it is, if they're going to band and they're clawing, they're gone for the day. But we also have to provide their petrol money and their subsistence money. And that's going to, I mean, the travel costs alone just for the workers are going to be uh, increased, you know, exponentially. So there, so there needs to be more resources for that. There needs to be more resources for the people who need to go to court in terms of access to the court, transport, some kind of small grant, maybe for childcare or whatever, uh, that, they can, that they can access so that they can attend court. That's one way of doing it, but there's an even simpler way. And it's the more, I suppose in a way, it's the more modern way. Remote courts, Patricia. Mm. and it's been done in other jurisdictions and that is where you actually set up you use the technology and you set up 
And so someone, so for instance, our clients could come here to our offices. Yeah, perfect. We could set up And we've the, seen in the, the pandemic how, how remote, we've seen how in the pandemic so many yeah. things can be done remotely. So why not have something Absolutely. like this? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And I've seen it done. I actually, in my own, you know, in my own back at home ground up in the north, I've seen it done. I went to see... Uh, uh, an example of it in Derry about two years ago, and they weren't even doing it because the court was at any distance. The court was literally down the street. It was to safeguard the clients, you know, they weren't going into uh, an unprotected situation in the court. And it was done with collaboration with the service, with the court service, with the judge. And if we all pull together, we can do this. And particularly, this has been needed in an area like West Cork and, and East Cork for a long, long time, instead of getting people traipsing up to the city and traipsing across the country to get what they need. You know, access to justice is a fundamental right. And if you don't make that ac- that justice accessible in practical terms, then you're denying someone that right. OK, all right. And just while I have you on the line, Marie, just on a, on a different topic, what what's your reaction to the internal inquiry showing thousands of 999 calls were cancelled by, by the Gardaí uh, on people attempting to report domestic violence? Were you shocked by that? Oh, got it. Absolutely got it, I have to say. Um, got it. Um, kind of listening in disbelief to the um, the reports on it um, and in shock. And we are, I know that all of our DD services, we are uh, all meeting tomorrow, but via Zoom to discuss that amongst some other issues as well. I mean, we, we you know, we work very well with our division down here and we've built up really good relations and we get a great deal of, like, kind of support from our, our, our guarded division. But there is inconsistency, and there's no doubt about it, there's inconsistency amongst guards in terms of their level of awareness, their level of response, and how they respond to victims, and they and the training, the level of training that they have. Um, as you know, we fought very hard here to have a protective services unit mm-hmm. in West Cork, and we got it, mm-hmm. and we get a great service from them. But that's only a small cluster of guards who are highly trained. I mean, normally, that's not the people who are picking up the phone when a victim rings in crisis or in fear or walks into a guard station. And if we don't get that same level of training and same level of response, right across the board, that consistency of response, then we are going to continue to have, you know, just this kind of, of these kind of upsets happening. And but I, I'm, I'm still gutted by it, I have to tell you. And yeah, because we know how difficult know it about is. It tomorrow. We know how difficult it is for somebody to pick up the phone and say, I need help. Oh, and to be told, mm. uh, to be someone making a snap decision on the other end that, you know, you don't really need our help Shocking. right now, or I haven't got time to deal with this, or I'm just not going to bother reporting or, or recording this call. Beyond, beyond belief. Yeah, okay, listen, yeah, Marie, pleasure is. as always. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining You're us. You're welcome. Good morning right, to you. Bye bye. Uh, Marie Mulholland of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. By the way, 
Today we are having another free munch Monday because all of our superb restaurants have started to reopening. To reopen, we are giving away a voucher uh, every Monday on our free munch Monday. And today's voucher is for the beautiful Ina Shannon House Hotel. As we've done on previous weeks in the next hour, I will give you a food combination. I will give you the first part of the food combination. You've got to work out what is the second part of the food combination. And we'll be doing that after 12. And as always, it's just by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. That's free munch Mondays. Your ticket to tasty free food thanks to McCarthy Insurance Group, your trusted partner and advisor at crunch time. See mig.ie and we will do that after 12 today. Now, a lot of calls coming in about indoor dining. What should what should the government do? go, go with? Should they stick with their original plan that indoor hospitality would reopen this day next week, July the 5th? Or will they go with what's expected? Now, maybe Neffet will surprise us, but everyone is assuming that Neffet's recommendation is going to be their meeting as we speak today and uh, it's expected that they're going to recommend delay by at least two weeks if not three weeks if they delay by two weeks then it would go push it out to July 19th which will be the same date as international travel that will be allowed in and out of this country. Tom in Rathcormac says indoor dining should be reopened. It's those flying into this country that are bringing in all of these variants. They're the ones to blame not those of us that have remained on this island. So I assume from that time you say reopen but keep the country locked down. Don't allow anybody into the country. I'm assuming that's what you're thinking of. Tony in Crosshaven says, so if we remain closed, you'll have a situation whereby you could fly to Spain and eat in any of their indoor restaurants while you can't go into a local restaurant or bar. It does not make sense. People seem to be flying in and out of uh, Ireland. Lisa in Mallow says, I do feel we have to be very careful when it comes to reopening. So if we have to wait another two to three weeks for indoor dining so be it. After six months I feel for safety's sake I'd have no issue waiting another two to three weeks. Ted in Mitchellstown making a similar point. I feel after six months of closure another few weeks would it really make any difference if it means that we're all protected. But it's very unfair on the business owners within the hospitality sector who now are geared up to reopen this day next week. Also Ted in Mitchellstown says that when places do reopen, he feels sanitizers, washing hands, properly sterilising of tables in restaurants and bars and workplaces. He feels that that should continue for the next few years. He says, if not forever, it'll lower the impact on colds and uh, flus. And the number of people who have noticed that since the pandemic, everybody doing their best to avoid COVID, but the number of people who will, who will agree and say that the, you know, the normal colds and flus that you pick up and stomach bugs. A number of people say that they haven't been sick since the start of the pandemic and that's got a lot to do with the hand hygiene, social distancing and of course it's to do with the wearing of masks as well. John says, Patricia, here we go again. It's all to do with talking about drink. Aren't we a real pity without indoor dining? In lockdown, John feels drink was our biggest problem. He also doesn't have a lot of sympathy for the hospitality industry and the pub owners because he makes the point that they've been getting paid since they were closed. Next year, according to John, will be time enough to open pubs. Drink has the majority of our of lives ruined in this country. There always seems to be plenty of money for drink in Ireland, but never enough money for food and uh, rent. And actually, I saw in South Africa, the poor old South Africans are being hammered again. 
they because the Delta variant now has arrived in South Africa and the country which which had already battled with their own variant remember the South African uh, variant they are now facing a massive resurgence of infection so much so that their president has came out yesterday and they are putting in containment measures in in place and they are putting the country in because a two week lockdown but what I thought was really interesting when they were announcing the two week lockdown like there's a ban on all gatherings the only gatherings that people can have are, are funerals but they have introduced a ban on the sale of alcohol all restaurants can no longer do sit-down meals. They can do takeaway only. There's also a nighttime curfew has been put in place because of the Delta variant arriving in South Africa. But I don't know if that's the first country, but they've put a ban on the sale of uh, alcohol. Uh, one wonders, would, could we ever see a situation where that would happen in this country, where the government would decide to ban the sale of alcohol? 1850-333-103. Breed says, hi Patricia, what is the difference with dining indoors in a hotel and dining indoors in a restaurant. If one is to stay in a hotel, then one can dine indoors. If one is not staying, then one has to dine outside. It simply doesn't make sense to me. Show me the science behind that. The restaurants and the hotels should be treated the same. If you can dine indoors in a hotel just because you're a resident, surely you should be allowed to dine indoors in a restaurant. I do agree, though, that it may be safer to wait another few weeks, but I can also see where the restaurant owners are coming from all of this. I think everyone is thanking you. That's some brief. Thanks for that, Breed. And I think you're summing up what a lot of people feel. A lot of people can see why if it you know if we can get more people vaccinated then hold on for another few weeks but then on the other side you're thinking of the people within that industry you're thinking of the business owners you're thinking of the workers and all of the people who are all set up and ready a lot of the workers number of restaurants have brought back in their staff today a week out from the start of reopening so that they can have people trained I mean there's going to be a huge cost implication when this decision is uh, finally made somebody Michael and Bandon then is saying how come I can go and sit inside in a cinema for what two to three hours and watch a movie but I can't go into my quite country pub for a pint doesn't make sense to Michael Patricia the big problem with the oh no that's on a different issue I'll go back to that in a minute I want to stay with indoor dining for a sec hi Patricia I think we can all take it that indoor dining won't be opening for a few weeks due to the Delta variant Publicans and restaurant owners just have to be patient as they would be the ones complaining and moaning most if we were forced to shut down again due to another wave. The government are doing the correct thing and a great job overall. And no matter what they do, the media are going to criticise. Just by the way, talking to media, word of praise and thanks to the C103 sports team. They just keep going from strength to strength in their coverage and they deserve every plaudit available. I'm looking forward to listening to John in the hurling team commentary for Cork hurling match next weekend. I shall pass on those kind words to everybody in the sports department. Thank you for that. Someone else says, personally, I think the pubs should open anyway. Whether the government say it or not, what are the government 
what can the government do about it? It's the pubs are losing out and not the government. Well, we've unfortunately got rules in place and restrictions in place. So if the government say no, that the pubs are to remain, remain shut, then the pubs will have to uh, remain shut. That's just the way uh, it is. OK, other issues into us. Hi, Patricia. I'm waiting eight weeks and a lot more. I'm waiting for my second dose of AstraZeneca and there are a number of people on about that very same point. But then somebody else is saying, Patricia, the big problem with the vaccine is people aren't turning up for their appointments. Hundreds of every day are not turning up. It is is, is a disgrace. I, yeah, I don't know what the, act, the act, actual figure on that. The last figure I heard on people not turning up for the second dose. And remember, you're not fully protected without the second dose. It was running at about 6%. That was the last figure I heard. But the, certainly the majority of people who contact this programme who are waiting on a second jab, particularly those in the 60 to 69 cohort, just can't wait to get the second dose of the AstraZeneca. And um, now the what the HSE are telling us is that people aged between 60 and 69 who are waiting for their second COVID-19 vaccine should receive the jab by mid-July. Paul Reid is putting the figure of the, the date of the 19th of July. And the 19th of July, uh, that's, that's three weeks today, isn't it? A significant number of people within the 60 to 69 cohort in Ireland have faced extended waits for their second vaccine jabs. Uh, however, Miho Martin said uh, action was being taken to address the situation with the intention to have all second doses administered by July the 19th. So that's Micheál Martin also backing up what Paul Reid has said. And we certainly are hearing from people who have been waiting. We had a couple of calls in from people to say they have got an appointment date for this week. And when we asked them, when did you get your first jab? We've had a number of people telling us eight weeks ago they got their first jab. So it looks like they're at that stage of the vaccine. So people who would have got their first jab kind of around the beginning of May are starting to get appointments. So if you sort of work out where you are, how many weeks ago you actually got your vaccine, it seems to be around the eight week, maybe it goes to nine weeks, but they certainly, there's, there's not many are being asked to wait the 12 weeks. Having said that, my own daughter, Marta, is getting her second jab on Wednesday and she will be 13 weeks tomorrow since she got her first one. But I think she's in that cohort of people that when they initially got their jabs, we were looking at 12 weeks of a gap. And there's a group of them, they just couldn't catch up in time. But certainly they seem to be, for anyone who got it, it seems to be from the beginning of May onwards, they seem to be really doing catch up on that. And there's a lot of work behind the scenes going on to up the vaccinations to make sure that there's enough vaccinators to vaccinate the people. So there is this huge, huge push to make sure that everybody in the 60 to 69 cohort will have their jab by the 19th of July. So keep a look at your text. Keep a look at your phones because you will get a text to say when your appointment is due. And just to clarify for somebody else who was asking who went to Tralee, I think, for their second jab and says doesn't really want to have to go to Tralee again on a day trip. And was there any hope that they'd be able to get the vaccine closer to home? They're in the West Cork area. We are hearing from people who tell us, now this isn't this is this doesn't say that it's going to be for everyone, but certainly we've had some of our listeners contact us to say that their first vaccine 
dose. We had some people from North Cork, for example, who got their first vaccine. They were in the city getting their vaccine and their second is going to be in Mallow, which is closer to home. And then we had a couple of calls in from the West Cork area of people who either went to the city, somebody from North Cork was sent to Tralee and they're all being given a vaccination centre closer to home for the second one. I'm not I'm not definitively saying that's going to be for 100% of people, but just to let people know that that seems to be what is happening at the moment. So you might be lucky and you might be able to get your vaccine your vaccine closer to home, which obviously I think is the best for everybody. Everybody likes the idea of having the vaccine as close to home as possible. And then on something completely different, Catherine says, Hi Patricia, I was in Gugambara for most of last week. What a beautiful neck of the woods you found yourself in and the amount of dog poo. All along from the crossroad at Gugan, you could say all around the park. Not on the island itself, though, says Catherine. People are not being very responsible with your pets. So if you're walking your dogs in and around Gugan or anywhere else, please bring your little bags with you. Pick up after your own dog and bring your mess home. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. Mallow Donorail CE Scheme. Now they're currently recruiting for caretakers, environmental workers and secretarial positions. It's in the Shambali Moor and Donorail areas. Ground workers, concrete finishers and shuttering carpenters are all wanted for work in Cork City and County, while a receptionist is required to work in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. And construction workers are wanted for work on stonework and on bridges in the Clonakilty area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie According to yesterday's Sunday independent newspaper, Gardaí are investigating new information relating to the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier that was passed on to them by the film director, Jim Sheridan Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, what is known as, of this information that has been passed on by Jim Sheridan to the Gardaí? Yeah, Jim Sheridan uh, has confirmed that the information has been passed on and that he has made a statement to the Gardaí. Uh, the actual specific nature of it is a bit speculative, but what I can tell you is that it does involve um, Marie Farrell who was a former shopkeeper in um, West Cork. And a lot of you listeners might remember that Marie Farrell played a very central role in the 2003 defamation action where Ian Bailey uh, sued eight Irish and um, British newspapers for defamation. And her, she also formed a central part of the Gary murder file because Marie Farrell said that she saw a person wearing a dark coat at Calefather Bridge on the night of the murder. And Gardaí have always attached great importance to that sighting. But the problem was that afterwards, Marie Farrell said that she had been placed under duress by the Gardaí to indicate that that person was Ian Bailey. Now, Ian Bailey is a Manchester-born freelance journalist. He has always protested his innocence in relation to this matter. And he has said that attempts were made to frame him for the crime. But he was twice arrested and twice released without charge by the Gardaí in 1997 and in 1998. And of course, I'd say most of your listeners will remember that in May of 2019, the French mounted a prosecution. It was a 
in Paris, and it was staged in absentia in Bailey. Griff didn't acknowledge that the French trial refused to travel to France, and three separate extradition bids by the French were rejected by the Irish courts. But that Paris trial convicted him of Sophie's um, killing and imposed a 25-year prison sentence. So Marie Farrell has always been a central part of the Garda murder investigation. Firstly, because of what she said she saw at Kailfada Bridge and who that person could possibly be. And also because she said she saw a, a strange individual basically hovering around outside her shop in the days before the murder. And why that's very, very significant is that Sophie was around her shop at the time. And the suggestion has always been that that individual was either watching Sophie or may even have been following Sophie. So the guards have always attached a lot of importance to her statements. Was there ever an attempt by the Gardaí to trace that man, the man, because Marie Farrell claims that the man she saw outside her shop and the man that she saw at Kilfather Bridge uh, were one and the same. Did the Gardaí always just assume that was Ian Bailey or did they go to any lengths to try to find out who that person could have been if it wasn't Ian Bailey? Well, the Gardaí did, did go to great lengths to determine who it was, but the difficulty was that from the very early part of the investigation, the indication that was given to them, they would say, was that Marie Farrell said that that person was Ian Bailey. Now, of course, in 2003, she gave evidence that it was, and then in 2005, she re- dramatically retracted that evidence and said, no, that that person wasn't Ian Bailey, that uh, she had been placed under duress by the Gardaí, and that a... Uh, those statements were now being retracted. So since then, the Guardi really have been in a position where it's very difficult for them to try and determine if that person wasn't Ian Bailey, who potentially could it be. And what's interesting now is that Marie Farrell is saying that she believes she has recognised the person who was outside her shop from uh, photos that she was shown online, and that she believes that that person may have somehow been associated with or friendly with um, Sophie's late husband, Daniel Duplantier, who of course died and he was attending the Berlin Film Festival in early 2003 and he died. So he died even before the defamation action was taken, before Cork Circuit Civil Court. And where that information goes from now, uh, no one knows. But what is interesting is that Ian Daly wrote last month to Taoiseach, to Drew Harris, who of course is the Commissioner of the Garda Síochána, and to the Department of Justice Stroke DPP, looking for a review of the original murder file. Now, I mean, I was I was on to the Garda on Friday, and what the Garda are saying that yes, they have received uh, correspondence with Ian Bailey, but they have not committed to a full review at this time. And I think the important part of that phrase is at this time, because what my sources are telling me is that the Garda are going to wait until after both documentaries are out to see what public reaction there is to them in terms of people might remember things that they didn't contact the guards about, there might be new information, there might be new leads, and when all of that information is considered and filtered, I think the guards will take make a call at that point whether they go for a full review of the case file. And it's worth pointing out that there has already been um, four reviews of the case file since 2001. Um, it's been subject of two major internal uh, reviews, stroke probes, within the Garda Síochána. And, of course, it was also the focus of a major review by the Garda Síochána Ombudsman Commission on foot of a complaint 
Now you wrote a book um, last year, uh, a, a Dream of Death, uh, about this uh, case. So it's, it's a case you are really, really familiar with. You also were interviewed for part of the Jim Sheridan uh, the series that we've all watched, uh, Murder at the Cottage. Wh- wh- what did you make of Jim Sheridan's program? I, I, I found it, to be honest with you, I found it riveting viewing. And I think it's it'll be interesting for people to contrast uh, the Jim Sheridan production with the Netflix production, which of course is going to start streaming on Wednesday night, because I think that they've taken very very different stances and very very different approaches to the issue. I think the Netflix um, documentary is going to be very much more French focused, and it's going to very much look at this. I think it, it aims to give a different, more detailed profile of Sophie. And make her very much central to the story. And it's certainly, if you can judge by some of the comments from Ian Bailey, it's going to take a very, very different view of him to, I think, the quite measured and quite careful approach that was taken by, um, by Jim Sheridan and his production. Now, that's not to say that the Netflix one isn't measured and isn't careful, but I think they're approaching this from a very, very different viewpoint. Yeah, but Jim Sheridan's programme was. Was it was absolutely gripping, as you say. Even you know those of us that have been involved with reporting on on this case, it it, it still made you kind of sit back and think, whoa, you know. Even yeah. though I mean, for you who's written one of the definitive books uh, on it, it, it still kept your attention for the full what, five what programs. Astonishing. I mean, to be honest with you, what, what what astonished me was that I mean, I've been covering this case since 1997. I mean, a, a noble shout out to Barry Roach of the Irish Times because. He's the reporter that has been covering this longest and most continuously uh, since uh, late 96, early 97. And I mean, for all of us, like we've been writing about it, we've been at the various press conferences, we've been at the various court cases, the various memorial services, whatever. And I was still taken aback because there was things in that that I didn't know and, and certainly wasn't familiar with in terms of the level of background information. You almost felt like a fly on the wall mm. at times in terms of, you know, Ian Bailey and Jules Thomas and their life in West Cork. And I mean, particularly, I think, you know, Jules' 70th birthday scene, it, it's mesmerising watching elements of that. And there's so many other elements of it that really come across as just an astonishing level of almost inside information or inside detail on people's lives and the impact it had on them, the impact it had on the community. And I mean, that that's why it, it made for such remarkable... I mean, I, I was taken aback by the number of people that had contacted me asking for my opinion on different pieces of, of the documentary because people, I mean, certainly within Cork, and I know absolutely within West Cork, people were, were absolutely captivated by it. And as you say, will be by the... Ne- Have you seen the Netflix? Did you get a preview I, of it? I've not seen the entire programme, but I've yeah. seen substantial portions of it. Yes, I have. Yeah, and it's very much from Sophie's family's side. And of course, Sophie's family are 100% convinced that Ian Bailey did it. it. Yes, they are. And their position has always been that the prosecution that was taken in France in May of 2019 was fair, balanced, proper. And what they want is uh, Ian Bailey to be in France and for Ian Bailey to face a new trial, because a lot of people think that if Ian Bailey was ever extradited to France, that he would simply go into custody, and that would be it. But no, what the French want is there would be another, a new trial on the basis of him being in France, and that they would run another full prosecution. Um, but that has always been their position, and it's, it, it is 
he lost his mother. He was very young. I think he was about 11 or 12 years old. No, sorry, he was slightly 15, older than that. But 15, 14. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when he lost his when he lost his mother in the most brutal of circumstances. I mean, this this was amongst the most savage crimes that we've seen in Ireland in the last um, three decades. And of course, the other thing not to lose sight of is the fact that next December marks the 25th anniversary yeah. of the killing. And it is very, very difficult for a family to lose a loved one in these circumstances and to know that the person responsible for it, whoever that person may be, is still walking free. Yeah, and I think watching Jim Sheridan's one, and I know it was arch- archival footage because uh, unfortunately the family decided to uh, withdraw all the interviews they did, but I thought the interview piece with her elderly parents, I mean, just that, I mean, it's you know goes against nature to bury your your, your child, but yeah. to see this elderly couple, and one thing that I hadn't been aware of, and I'm and I'm not blaming the Gardaí, was when they arrived in Cork that time twenty five years ago, and they were sent straight away to a hotel, and all they wanted to do was to go yeah. and be with her and be around her things and in her house. But obviously, it was yeah. a crime scene. I I found that absolutely absolutely heartbreaking. So, yeah. but the one thing is, the both these documentaries, it's it's put the spotlight very much back mm-hmm. on on this case. Do, do you believe, will, will, will it ever be solved, Ralph? I think we can hope that it will, Patricia, but the difficulty is that given the length of time that has passed, I mean, as I said, it's 25 years in December, unfortunately, the reality is that it's beginning to look very, very doubtful. I mean, unless there's some kind of a miracle where there's new forensic evidence um, revealed where, you know, potentially the killer decides to, to make a full admission, um, come forward, contact the authorities. A, a witness who might have vital information might decide to break their silence and contact the guardian. But un- unfortunately, all of the indications are that, that that's a, a bit of a forlorn hope. Having said that, there is always hope. And I mean, the family have cooperated with, I mean, books, with documentaries, with journalists' requests for interviews on the basis that they see publicity as absolutely critical Mm. to keeping the investigation ongoing and to assisting the Gardaí in doing the one thing that the family want, which is to bring the killer to justice. Okay, somebody said, I watched uh, Murder at the Cottage. Intriguing, to say the least. Uh, Well, the listener said, I also listened to the West Cork uh, podcast. I actually re-listened to that uh, again. That's another one that has uh, great detail in it. And somebody says, uh, could you ask Ralph, did they ever check uh, if anybody flew in from France around the time of Sophie's death? Yeah, there was. There was a check of all of the airports. And one it's one of the things that, that I had in the book there last year was that uh, there was a lot of interest in a person in the west of Ireland who had a person stay with them. And the, the person had French connections. And that person seemed to believe that there may have been some kind of a connection with West Cork. And that was one of the pieces of information that was passed on to the Gardaí. But they did. They checked all of the departure lists um, at the various airports. Of course, Sophie had arrived into uh, Cork on her own. She had been hoping to travel with a friend, but a friend was unable to travel. So that's why she arrived on her own. She rented a car. And of course, one of the awful quirks of faith or tragedies of faith is that she was murdered just a couple of hours before she was due to actually travel to Cork Airport to fly back to France to spend Christmas with her family. So it was just one of those things that, you know, had she booked the flight the day before, all of this might have been avoided, but it was just, you know, there's been so many elements to it. There 
there was there was local people. I mean, the interesting thing about it is that Ian Bailey has always protested his innocence, but what people, some people don't realise that Ian Bailey wasn't the first suspect in this. Ian Bailey wasn't the first person that the Guardian would have looked at. There were others, but all of those were gradually eliminated because they had alibis or because they were able to explain various aspects of it. And that's then when the focus turned to a different direction. And of course, there was no, D, D, no DNA evidence to link Ian Bailey to the scene because somebody's saying surely with the advance in uh, DNA they should be able to link somebody to the case now. And someone else wants to know, does Ralph know where did the gate go? No, unfortunately that, that's another awful element of this case is that it, all of this was emerged in the Garda Shukona Ombudsman Commission review of the, of the case file is that there was critical evidence and misplaced or lost so there was um, documents, uh, there was items of clothing, and of course there was this full gate, which people believe that there may have been blood spatters on that gate when it was first taken into evidence, uh, but the gate has been misplaced and no one knows where it's gone. Because it went to Dublin, didn't it? I mean, it was it was taken by the local Gardaí, but it got sent for forensics to Dublin. Yes, yes, and it was put into storage, and I think what happened was storage was being either being moved or changed or whatever, and in Nobody the process... No one, no one knows where it went. Nobody so knows. certainly one of the things, another element of it was that um, the Garda Shikona Ombudsman noted that key documents, Garda documents, there were pages missing from those, and that was seen, taken as quite a serious matter within the, within GSOC. But like, there's been so many different elements. You had, you know, the internal recording system within the Garda stations that you know people weren't weren't aware of at the time. You had the whole retraction of Murray Farrell's evidence, and of course. Defamation action before Cork Circuit Civil Court. You had two different High Court actions, one of which for wrongful arrest by Ian Daly running says one of the longest civil actions in the history of the state. You had three separate um, extradition requests. You had a prosecution in absentia in France in May 2019. You had the lengthy GSOC probe, and you had you know so many other different elements to this that it's a case that you know just when you think. It's beginning to fade from the headlights and it's beginning to, the dust is settling on it. Suddenly it, it springs right back into public consciousness again with a major twist. Oh, it's just hard to believe, 20, as you say, nearly 25 years on and we're still uh, discussing it and still no closer to finding out what happened uh, on that night. There's only one person. Is that person still alive? Uh, who knows exactly what happened? Uh, Ralph, as always a pleasure. Somebody says, what's the name of Ralph's book? Uh, a Dream of Death is the name of uh, Ralph's book, which was published last year, wasn't it? Tw- last year. 2020. And still available in all good bookshops. Okay, hopefully. hopefully. All right, Ralph. Listen, thank you. Pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks. uh, Good morning to you. And somebody says, when is the Netflix program uh, dropping? The thirtieth, which is uh, Wednesday. Uh, That's when you can get it on uh, Netflix. And the uh, the uh, Jim Sheridan one is on Sky and and now TV. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. C103 have teamed up with Sky Broadband because they are bringing lightning fast speeds up to one gigabyte to homes across Cork under the National Broadband Plan.
Can you follow? Can you follow my lead? This Tuesday at 11:40 a.m. on Cork Today, Patricia Messenger will be chatting to Stephen Small from Sky about ultra-fast broadband. We follow up last week's interview to answer more in-depth queries, like what broadband can I get in my area, and can I make my Wi-Fi faster? If you've got more questions, please email Cork Today at c103.ie. We got this rhythm. Can you follow my lead? 56% of Corkonians believe that better broadband would help keep them in touch with friends. For more info, click the link for Sky Broadband Ultra Fast on c103.ie. With schools now out for summer, it seems hundreds of parents have called a support phone line after they were unable to find a summer camp for their children with demand for places sky high. Joining me with more on this, uh, Aileen Hickey, who's CEO of Parent Line. Good morning to you, Aileen. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. Do we know, are there less summer camps this year because of COVID restrictions? Are are all of them up and running? No, there's certainly less summer camps. Uh, I mean, there's, well, first of all, there's obviously the the residential summer camps that um, didn't go ahead. That would include a lot of the Gale Sucks. Um, Now, there was no outright ban, as far as I'm aware, on Gale Sucks, but the vast majority of residential Gale Sucks didn't go ahead. you know, particularly because Gale Sucks that were associated with having, you know, a ban on tea or a manon, you know, the, the, the manon of tea, uh, obviously were, were concerned for their own health and safety. So, you know, so those didn't go ahead. Um, and then a lot of the activity camps, from what we can determine, um, either some of them didn't go ahead and some of them, a lot of them, the ones that have gone ahead, have gone ahead um, on reduced or, or with cut numbers. I mean, I suppose... The only thing you can say is where, where the boon has been, where the bonus has been, is for technology-based, you know, or online um, summer camps. And a lot of summer camps have gone online. But as for uh, physical summer camps, that there certainly is, you know, a, a lot less summer camps there and a lot less places on the summer camps. I myself have been online looking for summer camp places for a couple of my own. And they're full, you know, there's this waitlist um you know, there's waitlists everywhere from the ones that I looked at. And I actually managed to get a couple of online summer camps myself for them, which isn't quite the same thing considering we've been online for so long at this stage. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the concern, is really, the concern isn't just for, 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 for children's mental health. It is for children's mental health and it is for children's social and emotional um, development because summer camps are fantastic things. They're, you know, they're not you know that they're, they're you know they can be a slight perception sometimes that they're used as a kind of a summer babysitting service for parents and you know obviously there's a bit of an element to that but they're also fantastic for in terms of helping kids to develop socially and uh, and emotionally and um physically and all the rest of it um, and also there's obviously all of the concern for parents mental health and for parents own careers because you know parents have struggled you know all year long and you know for the last year and a half with working from home and with you know homeschooling at various times um, and it's difficult, and it's difficult to keep all the balls in the air. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And and I know that myself. And and I think, Aileen, this year more than any other year, I mean, this is a year where not everybody's going away on holidays. People who traditionally might have gone abroad, those those holidays uh, are gone. And I think because of what children have put up with over the last 15, 16 months, I think summer camps this year are probably more important than ever. Would you agree? Oh. 100% because actually children have been very isolated this year in many ways you know we, you know even when they were in school because they were in uh, they were in bubbles and they weren't having uh, their post school activities they weren't going to people's houses for play dates or birthday parties or sleepovers so children have been increasingly isolated i think for the last year and a half and to be honest they're probably spending too much time by themselves and you know and again i i i i would say that 
not just from the parenting perspective, I would say that from even from the horses out here from my own perspective. I mean, you know, that, um, you know, that they can maybe be spending too much time in their bedrooms because they don't have the, they haven't had the, the, the full full year and now they don't have, some of them don't, won't have summer camps. And even those who will be going to summer camps this year, summer camps this year will look and feel very different to the ones experienced uh, in the past. Mm. Because, you know, there, there, there's, there's going, it will be an adapted daily activity schedule Say, for example, even things like um, activity camps where, you know, there's a lot of the activities based maybe around inflatables. You know, a lot of that has to be reduced because, you know, there's always, I think, the worry with maybe with inflatables that, you know, maybe uh, children bumping into each other and too much, um, you know, you can be social distancing when you're on an inflatable. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I will say for, for in terms of summer camp providers, I think they have done their absolute utmost to try and get the situation as good as they can. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of them have gone in and they have opened up their summer camps. They have reduced camp capacity, which obviously isn't great for them either. They have reduced group sizes. I think they've had to do no no group intermixing or, or as little as possible between groups. And then they've had to work with things like contactors, drop-off by parents or oh, minders or whoever's in the drop-off. They've had yeah. to work with hand hygiene routines. They've had to work with an enhanced enhanced cleaning routines, um, you know, and some of them had to put in things like uh, COVID officers in place, you know, to ensure the necessary guideline, HSC guidelines are being adhered to, you know, so, and they've modified their program. So, you know, they've had a lot to work with to be as compliant as possible with HSC guidelines and with COVID regulations. So, you know, it's not easy for them either. Difficult to make them, they have to be financially viable as well. But well, that's exactly it. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, they, they, they've had to, you know, I think what I can gather, some comes have had to employ more staff and yet, take less, take 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 in less children. So you know that that's that you know that that makes a very difficult economic environment for any business. Um, so um, as I say, I mean, I think what a lot of, of summer camps are doing, where they're where they're trying to balance it out, is they they're putting you know as much as they can online. I mean, I know, for instance, there's a lot of language um, camps now on online because you know okay. that is something that, that you can work with now. You can't. Have, no, no, but you could do you can do a la- language one. Uh, Lu- you can do a language one, yeah. Yeah, Lucy wants to know: Does Aileen think that some of the organisers of the camps might put on extra camps because of the demand? I, I, I again, I, I mean, I don't know per se, but you know, from, from what I've done and looked at, you know, the dates right through to the end of August, from what I see, are already full. So I, I mean, I don't think there was any extra camp capacity. So I mean, I think you know, I think they're they're working with what they have. As yeah. best they can. That's, I mean, again, I don't know. I don't run summer camps. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's but all, all you can do is check in locally. And as I say, most of them yeah. appear to have waiting lists and just hope. Oh, they do. Have, they, I mean, they, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I literally, I couldn't get over it myself, you know, you know, tapping into, to, you know, various websites. And, you know, that there, there is, there's a, there's a, I mean, I'm not saying that every camp is full. Um, and I'm certainly, you know, so, you know, and I'm not going to be promoting any particular camp. I mean, I'm sure there are camps there that if you keep, um, you know, if you keep checking, I'm sure there are, there, you know, there are a lot of big, um, summer camp companies and I'm sure there is some availability there but most of them are booked out yeah yeah a lot okay. of people don't need what you're working and I think it's very frustrating I mean what we're getting on the parent line helplines is just you know parents aren't blaming summer camp organisers or anything it's just they're frustrated as I say and they are worried about their children's physical activity and their children's social interactions and their own mental health and their own you know their own needs I mean you know it, 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 it's going to be difficult again continue working in the summer and still be your kids' social organiser and you can say things like, you know, get them to do their own things but 
it doesn't always work, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a matter of kind of driving them out of their rooms and, you know, trying to get them to do as much as possible. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And just on a completely different topic, this has come into us uh, earlier from a listener on First Holy Communions. Are First Holy Communions going ahead or not? Uh, listener says, I heard that they were told to defer them, but some parishes are supposed to be going ahead. I'm confused by all of this, says one of our listeners. I know around Limerick and the west of Ireland, the bishops were contacted and told not to run. First My understanding, again, on this was that what the bishops received was a recommendation rather than a directive um, in terms of it was going to be left up then to the various um, parishes or to, to the bishops to, to take the decision from there in conjunction I presume with the parents and the schools as to what was best. The recommendation, my, my understanding was that the recommendation was that they shouldn't go ahead on the basis that it could uh, increase spread, I suppose, you know, particularly obviously the, the worries the spread of, of the Indian variant, the Delta variant. But, um, and I think it, it, it's not even so much the actual, you know, the, the sacrament itself. I think it's probably the post-sacrament celebrations that uh, the worry would be in connection with. I, but my understanding is, as I say, you know, is that it was a recommendation uh, that was given to the bishops rather than an actual directive so that it's up to them individually to make their own decisions from there. That's been tough on kids as well, hasn't it? The ones that have missed out on First Holy Communion and Confirmation. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I myself have, have um, you know, and a, a nephew due to make his confirmation and, and a nephew due to make his communion last year and they still haven't made them. So, you know, I mean, yeah. That's a long time, so, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. I mean, you know, so you're, you know, you're, we're, we're well over the year here now and, you know, the outfits aren't getting any bigger. I, guess, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I hear my sister complaining as well. But, um, yeah, so I think I think that is very difficult. I suppose it's difficult for kids, but you know, who are looking forward to these big events and they're like these milestone events. But you know, again, like everything, there's been a lot of milestone events that you know, landmark events that for, in kids' lives that, that you know, and, and right across the board that people haven't been able to to do. And it's just one of those things. I mean, you know, they, they will happen. I mean, it's not like you know, a child won't make their first communion or won't make their confirmation and maybe it'll be in better times and maybe, you know, it'll be with, you know, less restrictions and maybe they can have more um, more of a social gathering afterwards. So I think for right now, if there's a recommendation given by the HSC or by NEFIT or by the government, you know, we just have to kind of go along with it. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a medical practitioner, so who am I to kind of say, well, I think it's perfectly okay for us to do this. Yeah, somebody said, but you're allowed 50 in a church, but it isn't the 50 in the church is the issue. It's what, See, that's it's, not it. it's yeah, what happens it, 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 when it, it, everyone it, yeah. and Granny has to come around and all the aunts exactly, and uncles yeah. and the cousins. And currently, Granny would be sitting outside. You yeah, know, yeah. She won't be inside either. So, yeah. you know, I think it's just, you know, I think you just have to make a decision like that based on, you know, all of the, the medical evidence and the facts that are yeah. there. Okay. And all the information that's out there. And also, a bit of common sense as to, like, you know, don't push something if there's going to be, if you're not going to get as much out of it at the end, you know, yeah. just wait. Okay. All right, listen, pleasure as always, Aileen. Thank you for that. And thanks for thanks joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Aileen Hickey, who is the CEO of uh, Parentline on that uh, issue. The parents really struggling this year to find summer camps for their children. 1850-333-103. John Paul is taking your calls. We're looking for your questions for Annalise, our nutritional therapist. She'll be joining us after 12. And also a reminder to you that after 12, we will be opening the text and the WhatsApp and giving you a chance to 
win a wonderful voucher, food voucher on our free Munch Monday and today's voucher is for the Inishannon House Hotel. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, keep your questions coming in for Annalise Russell, our nutritional therapist. Please, she'll be joining us after half past 12 and we get to as many of your questions as we possibly can. And before I go to some of your texts and some of your commentary into the programme, just to remind you that with so many superb restaurants now starting to reopen here in Cork, we are celebrating every Monday by having a free Munch Monday here on C103. This week's voucher is a voucher for the Inishannon House Hotel Free Munch Mondays. It's your ticket to tasty free food. Thanks to McCarthy Insurance Group, your trusted partner and advisor at crunch time, cmig.ie. Now, how do you win our free Munch Monday voucher? We have a food combination and you have to work out what is the missing word. Now, I can, I'm looking at today's food combination and it could be a variety of different answers, but I need the answer that's printed in front of me. And all I'm saying was when you are making your decision here, think warm, think hot. Okay, think warm, think hot. So it's apple pie and blank. Fill in the blank, please. Apple pie and blank. Think warm. Okay, you can text or WhatsApp your answer now, please, to 0862 103 103, along with your name and address. We will leave the text message service and WhatsApp about 10 minutes and then we will select our winner for today. So apple pie and blank. What is our food combination for today for your chance to win a wonderful voucher for the Inishannon House Hotel on our free munch Monday. Now, while we're waiting for your answers to come in, just some of your comments in. Heidi says, on fuel prices, fuel prices are rising, Patricia. How can that be when so many people are not travelling too far or haven't been travelling too far for the past 18 months? Here again, it's the motorist that gets hit in the pocket. If we take a look at just a few things that motorists have to contend with, you've got the service on your car, you've got your NCT, you've got your motor tax, you've got the high cost of fuel, you've got insurance. Let's not start on potholes that cost motorists a fortune in money if their toys or suspension on their cars are are ruined by the roads. It's time to give motorists a break. Where are we supposed to keep finding all of this money from from rising fuel costs? And that is coming in from uh, Heidi who uh, sent me on a link to the AA where they look at petrol and diesel prices. Now, this was up to the end of April of this year when they were saying the average diesel and petrol price was 142 for petrol and 133 for diesel. And I'm assuming it's probably even gone higher than that. But what they did in the AA was they they gave a breakdown of the taxes on, take for example, on petrol. If you pay, if you pay one, one euro 42 cent for every litre of petrol. What's the breakdown or where does that money go? 51 cent of it 
is that's the price before taxes and then you've got to add on to that. The excise duty is 62 cent. Um, the VAT is 26 cent. Total taxes 91, just under a euro. The estimated retailer margin is 4 cent and the estimated wholesaler margin, that's what the people who are producing it and are selling it, the estimated wholesale margin is 8 cent. So when you break it down, the tax for petrol runs at 64 percent for every litre of petrol you buy, 64% of the cost goes straight to the government and in diesel it's 58%. So it's just, so no matter what you do, no matter, because people will always say, oh, the price of the barrel of oil is falling and it's falling all of the time. And it is because on that particular date, the price of a barrel of uh, oil uh, in April was at $65 a barrel. Uh, so it doesn't matter what the price comes in at because of all of those additional taxes. That's, that's why petrol is so much more expensive in this country than, say, in America where they don't have all of the add-ons on the fuel prices. But yes, Heidi, I sense your uh, frustration. And somebody else is feeling very frustrated today is somebody who ju- is Mary. Says, Patricia, I just read that the asking prices of houses has risen by, risen by 13% in the last quarter. I agree that shortage is partially to blame for this rise, but I don't hear anybody discussing auctioneers who, for a fact, are suggesting to an interested buyer of a property that if you're very keen on the property, then you need to consider bidding 15k to 20k or more above the asking price to secure it. Surely this is the beginning of the inflated end sale price. Is it not just another type of auction? The asking price should be the asking price and it should be sold to the first bidder willing to purchase. There should be an independent valuer for properties. As I feel the auctioneers are putting up the prices, um, I'm a keen listener to your um, programme. Well, the auctioneers will say that they're in the business to get the best price for the seller and to secure the house for the person. But you are right, house prices in Ireland. We've now returned to the Celtic Tiger era house pri- with the house price inflation. Average house prices are rising now by over 1% a month are more. And that's since the start of March. Selling prices for three-bedroom semi-detached homes has risen more than 4% over the last uh, three months. Areas such as Drogheda and Limerick, they've recorded double-digit increases in the same period. And this is all data that's been collated uh, by, the, uh, by the Irish Independent newspaper, the REA Average House Price Index. Now it is, Mary is right, it is fuelled by pent-up demand and of course the recent return to on-site viewings. The marketplace is also experiencing the lowest supply and the shortage time taken to sell in recent history. Sales now are being concluded in four weeks. In some locations a house will go up for sale and it will be sold in three weeks. Now that's less than half. It's usually we have a 10 week average this time last year was what it was taking to sell a house and it is the fastest average selling time since this survey began. Uh, some estate agents are beginning now to turn back to auctions which is a process more widely deployed during the Celtic Tiger years as a more manageable way of selling properties with, with, because the level of interest is so high and I don't like to hear when we get to the auction stakes because that's when you have people who go into try to buy a house and they you know uh the asking price is 200,000. They might have a bit of a leeway maybe to go 10,000 above the asking uh, price. But when you get into an, aux- aux- an auction scenario, the amount of young people who are on a very, very fixed budget for their house, they are lost completely. So it worries me when I see uh, the very na- notion or the talk of auctions. 
And I was following a house last week in Dublin. Now, I haven't checked in today to see where this house is, but it was something I was watching the end of last week or the week before I started to see it because it was being described as a Celtic Tiger style bidding war. It was a house that went up for sale in Rathmines in Dublin where the price had almost doubled. Now, it's Dublin prices we're talking about here, which are always kind of silly figures anyway. The asking uh, price initially was €685,000. And offers for the property had increased so much that the price had gone up by, when I first started looking at it, it had gone up by 235000 And I couldn't believe that some that the bids were gone. 235000 over the asking price. When I last checked in, and this was at the back end of last week, the asking price had gone up by more than €530,000. And a house that started out at an asking price of 685000 when last I looked at it, was at £1.25 million. Now, seemingly our Housing Minister, Darrell O'Brien, said this is not sustainable. It's not something he wants uh, to see. But he said we're in an unusual position where we're coming through post-COVID and we're building up capacity within the sector. But he added that a full reopening of the housing market as COVID restrictions eased, he hoped would result in a return to a more normal supply of properties for sale, which will impact, he says, in a positive way on a rate of price increases. He says there are some implications and cost interest in cost increases in materials and labour going up and he's hoping that that would be uh, temporary. But this house, by the way, in in Rathmines in Dublin is described as being in poor condition. It is a fixer-upper. It's in need of significant renovation. And yet it still provoked this bidding war. But then when you look at houses in the Rathmines area of Dublin, which is an area traditionally where people rent properties and where there are still a lot of rental properties, you can rent a house in Rathmines and a a landlord can get €4,000 a month. And I'm wondering, is that why this particular property has skyrocketed? But it's hard to believe, as I say, up to close of business last Friday. And I don't know where it will stop at. It was at £1.25 starting out at an asking price of 685000 How, in God's name, could any young couple trying to buy a house look at those kind of figures? Looking, by the way, at that index that I spoke about, the the average house price index that's just come out that's showing that we have returned to the Celtic Tiger era. I took a look at Cork City and Cork County. Now these are your three bedroomed properties, probably the most popular houses that are on sale in Ireland. In Cork City in the last four weeks the average three bedded house has gone up 1.5% and an average three bed house in Cork City is at €330,000. And then across Cork County in the last four weeks house prices have gone up 6.3% and they are currently an average three bedroomed house in County Cork is at 193,500 uh, 193, euro. But they are rising, they reckon, at 1% a month. And they're selling really, really quick. It's just frightening. It really is frightening, the housing situation at the moment. 1850-333-103. John Paul continues to take your calls. What else is coming in? When we were talking about Sophie Tuscunda Plantier and we have these two documentaries and now what we're hearing, what was reported in the Sunday Independent yesterday, that the Gardaí are looking at new evidence that Jim Sheridan, new information that Jim Sheridan, the filmmaker, went forward with. Somebody says, surely the close of the murderer 
would have been covered in bloodstains. Yeah, because when you, if you looked at any of the documentaries, you'll know it was it was a frenzied, frenzied attack on that poor woman. The Gardaí should have checked those of the suspects. Well, I'm assuming they did, but it's certainly looking at the Jim Sheridan or if you've read any of the books like Ralph Regal's book or you've listened to the West Cork podcast, it just looked like the Gardaí thought they had their man, which was Ian Bailey and that was it and I don't know how much further they looked outside of Ian Bailey but there was absolutely zero forensic evidence that could link Ian Bailey to the scene of the uh, crime. Someone else again asking about the, is it the Netflix? No, we didn't. We, I certainly haven't seen the Netflix programme yet. Ralph says he's seen I think the first episode he's seen and the Netflix one would be very different to the Jim Sheridan one. I did see a review in the paper I don't know who wrote it who had seen both that reckoned that the Jim Sheridan documentary was better uh, but the Netflix one is going to, would, is going to get a much bigger audience uh, because of the nature of Netflix and the Netflix one is very much coming from the side of Sophie Tiscundiplanti and I suppose what they're trying to get across is the person that Sophie was you know the woman that uh, she was and let's not forget it's on, it'll be 25 years now this Christmas hard to believe uh, when that young woman was murdered and she mustn't be uh, forgotten about. 1850 then just back to people waiting on their second dose of AstraZeneca Willie is from Clamel. He said, Willie is from Clamel, but living in Cork. I, I got my AstraZeneca, first AstraZeneca shot on the 29th of April. I'm getting my second one next Friday. Yippee. So that's about the eight week mark, isn't it? I've got calendar in front of me, but I'm sure that is about the eight week mark. As I heard of somebody else who got it at the beginning of May and they're also getting it this week, which puts it at about the eight week mark. And someone else says, Trish, is there any point ringing the HSC? I'm now waiting eight weeks for the second AstraZeneca dose. I'm in Clonakilty. No, because they're working through it and they're kind of getting to people that are at the eight week mark. So I expect you should hear in the next week or so. So I would hold off, maybe give it another week. If you get to nine weeks and you haven't heard, maybe then is the time to start uh, calling them. Uh, Liz says, oh, this is in response to somebody who can't, and a number of listeners say they can't understand how you can have indoor dining in a hotel if you're a guest, but yet they won't allow indoor dining inside in restaurants or that's what we're expecting is going to be announced uh, today. And somebody said, what is the difference? You're a resident in a hotel so you can have indoor dining but you can't go down the road to a restaurant. Liz makes the point that hotels with their residents will have much less of a turnover for dining. So Liz reckons that's why it's safer for hotels to be allowed to operate indoor dining but not to allow restaurants. And another listener says, I agree with that gentleman who contacted your programme, John, wasn't it, to say everything in this country is to do with the demon drink. It's all about alcohol. What's the life loss potential if we open up indoor dining and if we go ahead with it now, particularly with everything that we're starting to learn and find out about with the Delta variant and also says this texter we shouldn't be allowing anyone to go abroad on holiday we're living at the end of the day in the middle of a pandemic I feel people are absolutely off their heads to be considering going away on holidays and somebody else on the holiday front says with global warming we won't need to be going abroad anymore we'll be getting warmer summers here and travel anyway says this listener, is all about being able to blow to your neighbours. Well, it is for some anyway. It isn't, ne- it isn't a necessity to go abroad on holidays. And then Irish hotels, 
need their charges need to be looked at they need to be controlled they are charging too much especially since they're so tight with their employees and only paying minimum wage it is disgraceful some of the wages that are given to people in catering no wonder we seek to go on a holiday abroad and to work abroad 1850 we'll close off on our competition because I can see a huge amount of answers have come in for our free munch Monday so we'll close off on that and we will get our winner in a moment because I want to keep the texts and the WhatsApp free in order to allow for questions to come in for Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative, the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. Ovens Bingo will is back every Tuesday night at half past eight. Full details on how to play and how to purchase your bingo books by logging on to oven, ovensbingo.ie. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lotto draw, that's continuing on Thursday. So it's on this Thursday, which of course is the 1st of July, four o'clock in the afternoon in the community office with a jackpot this week of €2,200. And a raffle to raise funds for Marymount Hospital and Hospice in memory of Noreen Kelleher is being held on Friday the 16th of July, which would be Noreen's second anniversary. Tickets are €10 each or you can get a book of six for €50. They're available online at idonate.ie forward slash raffle forward slash Noreen Kelleher or by phoning 087 263 2027. And Focus Ireland have organised a Coron Tool hike for 2021. It's planned for Sunday, the 29th of August. It's a chance to raise funds for Focus Ireland and also to challenge yourself and hike to the highest point in Ireland. To register, please go to events at focusireland.ie. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And I'm going down through the list of answers for our free Munch Monday. Our food combination today was apple pie and blank. And I did say think hot because there's a variety of answers. It could be some people like uh, ice cream with their apple pie, others like cream with their apple pie but I did say to think hot or think warm and the majority of people looking down through it have gone with apple pie and custard and I saw in the middle that somebody as they were texting us are actually batch baking apple pies at the moment and there is nothing like a good apple pie or an apple tart whatever you want to call it yourself but there's nothing I, I like it warm I love it warm with, with custard I think it's oh, absolutely gorgeous okay who is our winner I've left John Paul to select the winner and he has sent it in to me who is it it is Colette Welton of Bally Mac Shroon Shroin, Shroin. It's uh, Butlerstown in Bandon. Congratulations, Colette Welton, Butlerstown in Bandon. Correct answer. You have won for yourself a voucher for the Inishannon House Hotel on our free Munch Monday. Your ticket to tasty free food thanks to McCarthy Insurance Group, your trusted partner and advisor at crunch time. CMIG.ie. And we'll have more of those vouchers to give away this afternoon with Nick and again with Martina. Congratulations, so to Colette, and thank you.
to everybody who took time out to enter today. And just a couple of thoughts coming in about property prices when I mentioned how it looks like Ireland has returned to Celtic Tiger house prices and how I'm totally taken aback by this bidding war for this house that's going on in Dublin more than doubled in price. Price The asking price seems crazy. Lehman Brough says I feel our government past and present have only the mental capacity to run Dublin. No wonder prices are at an all-time high in Dublin with everything packed into one place. Look at all the new hospitals. They're always talking about national hospitals. All of those new hospitals, where are they based? They're always based in Dublin, says uh, Liam. And that's going to, there's going to be a huge issue as well when companies and businesses they want to set up offices in Dublin. Where, where are they going to find houses for people to live in? That's why there's a lot of people. This is the one thing the pandemic has done as well. It's getting people out of living in areas where they literally can't afford to buy a house and people are moving out into more rural areas and a much more relaxed pace of life. Andy in Formoy reckons Cork City is not trotting far behind Dublin when it comes to house prices. Andy says his son lives in Kildare and he's looking to buy a, a three-bedroomed property exactly exactly what we were talking about when I was doing that survey that I spoke about is on your typical three-bedroomed uh, semi. Anyway, in Kildare, because obviously Kildare is commuting distance for Dublin, average house price €350,000. Isn't that just incredible? But... Uh, Andy in Formoy says here in Glanmire they looked at house prices in Glanmire and he said it isn't much of a difference you could some of the house prices in Glanmire you could pay 350,000 where was the have I still got the what did I get for yeah well Cork City on this particular survey they're saying Cork City 330,000 that's the average so yes if that's the average you will get houses 350,000 up to uh, 400,000 so, uh, yeah, they're not trotting. They're certainly not trotting far behind. Something needs to be done about the prices, price of houses. And I just feel I have so much sympathy uh, for young couples who are trying to get onto that property ladder. It really is incredibly hard. OK, let's take a break and let's bring let's chat with Annelise of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic, answering all of your nutritional questions. Court today on C. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. 103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we are going to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic, uh, where I'm joined by Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Okay, straight in with uh, questions. Hi, question for Annalise, please. Could Annalise recommend, is there any cooling cream for inflammation of a vein on my leg? Thanking you. Okay, so there is lots of cooling creams. Um, there's one by a company called Cydonia called Polar Ice. That's lovely and cooling. But actually, the best thing for a vein is horse chestnut gel. So you can either get a gel called, I think it's called Venagel, V-E-N-A-G-E-L. It's made from the extract of horse chestnut. You can put it in the fridge, so it will be lovely and cooling. But the horse chestnut is brilliant for varicose veins and swollen and inflamed veins. And Dr. Clare also does a vena, uh, a venal, venotone cream, I think it's called, uh, which is very, very good. So they would be better because if you keep them in the fridge, they will be cooling. But the main thing is, is that they will actually work internally to get the vein back healthy again. And poor old Mary is recovering from shingles. Uh, she's still very itchy, particularly around her back. She's on Revive, the tonic, but anything else that Annalise could recommend. She did manage to get a cooling spray from the chemist, something to keep the itch down on shingles. Okay, so I think um, there is a lovely spray called Derma Spray by a company called Salcura, and they have got um, some lovely essential oils in there like lavender and um, tea tree, which are very good for kind of taking the heat and the irritation out of rashes. But they also are quite high in the fats, the the omega-7 fats, which are brilliant for healing the skin. Um, So it would be that it it would work very well to kind of stop the itch in its tracks because it's making the skin far more moisturized. So that's called Salcura Derma Spray. And the other thing that I find great for shingles as well afterwards is um, the Revive Active is a great multivitamin to take. But there is the olive leaf extract in liquid form, the Comvita or the company that do it. And I love that after a very bad virus because I think it just kills off the last of the virus. But I always feel great on it. I feel great energy. I feel I get that 20% extra back, you know, to my full normal self. So that would be a good one to add as well, olive leaf extract. Anne wants to know, any recommendations to stop stomach bloating? I'm in my 50s, I'm going through the menopause, I exercise daily and I eat a good diet, but I'm suffering with bloating. Okay, so bloating can be a few different things, Patricia. It could be, um, you know, um, producing excess gas because you're not digesting your carbohydrates properly and they're being fermented in the gut. That could be one thing. It could be as a result of bacteria that shouldn't be growing in bigger numbers like yeasts that are, again, fermenting and creating a lot of of bloating and wind. Or the last thing, it could be water retention. So if we go with the, 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 the digestion issue first, taking a digestive enzyme that will help you break your food down better is very good. And if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, there are ones that would have cellulase in there that help you break down um, the 
very difficult fibre that's hard to break down in the vegetables. And then there's lots of other ones, the amylases, that help you break down the carbohydrates. And they can be good if you're getting an awful lot of bloating. The other thing then to take could be a probiotic to get the good bacteria in there. Um, the Super 8 is very good. Tumbiotics, actually, that's a great one by a company called Quest. Um, that's really good for bloated stomachs, and you'll get that in any health shop, Tumbiotics. And then the last thing I would recommend is maybe something like silicone gel, which is very good for anything sort of digestive so where you're kind of gurgling a lot or if you're bloated a lot or if you're feeling kind of full and uncomfortable after a meal. The silicone gel is a great sort of cleanser to kind of just work everything through your system and will help with that as well. Mary says, I'm in my early 50s. My joints in my fingers are very painful at times and have become swollen. Would Annalise have any advice on any supplements or food that I could take that would help? Thanking you. Okay, so um, the, the one thing that rings a bell there, Patricia, an alarm bell for me is in my 50s. So actually a lot of women who start getting perimenopausal or menopausal will start experiencing a lot of joint pain. And that actually can be as a result of the drop in estrogen and progesterone. So it's very common. Um, and it seems to be for some people a movable pain as well. So it can, you know, start in the wrists and move to the fingers. And then the following day it might be in the toes or the feet. So actually if it is menopausal related, I would go with supporting the body through menopause. Um, and that would be taking something like um, Nutri-Advance, do a lovely peri- perimenopause, which has a lot of things to manage all of the menopausal symptoms, including sore joints. But if you can actually physically see the joints being very swollen and if they're very stiff, it could be just arthritis. So taking something like a natural anti-inflammatory in that case would be the, the best thing. And we get very good feedback here on um, an Irish company they do a supplement, it's Gal Vitamins, and they do a supplement called USC Cartilage. Um, and I'm getting excellent feedback on that. It's a combination of cartilage to support the actual cartilage in the joints, but it also has got a curcumin extract, which is very good as a natural anti-inflammatory. So that would be a very good one to try. Another one I get very good feedback on as well is the Nutri Advanced, and it's the curcumin... Um, Megazorb so it's a combination of curcumin and boswellia two natural anti-inflammatories so that's the Nutri-Advanced Curcumin uh, Megazorb it's called and you could try either of those Okay Sheila has a problem with her foot it is plantar fasciitis where she says uh, it feels like something's on the side of her foot when when she's walking. It is particularly uh, painful. Now, a number of things have been suggested to her. Somebody suggested that she gets a roller and roll it on her foot, that that's meant to work. She has been to the doctor. She has been diagnosed and she's got tablets, but uh, she would like to go for a more natural remedy. Or are there shoes that Annalise could recommend for somebody with plantar fasciitis? Yes, yeah, so plantar fasciitis is where the plantar muscle in the foot becomes inflamed and swollen and it's very painful and actually it is a difficult one Patricia to get a handle on so a couple of remedies definitely rolling of the foot will help and definitely proper supportive shoe wear like a lot of people find the fit flops are great because they provide great support maybe you may need to get orthotics which would be um, very much fitted to your own particular arch of your foot and there's some great companies now Patricia in um, Cork where you can go in and you can have your foot measured and they'll recommend a pair of sort of runners or a, a support runners 
that are suitable for your particular gait and the way that you walk. So I would definitely recommend spending money on a decent pair of shoes that you wear most of the time. And then in terms of natural remedies, there is a homeopathic remedy that can work. If it works, it's fantastic. But it, with homeopathy, um, you always you always treat the, the, the person, not the problem. So it's a little bit hit and miss just recommending a homeopathic remedy. But I did try this myself and it worked for me when I had the beginnings of plantar fasciitis. It's called Rutagrav, R-U-T-A-G-R-A-V. And when I recommend it here in the shop, it is hit and miss, Patricia, I'll be honest. I would say... I don't know, maybe three or four people out of every ten will get a good result and the others won't. But if it works, it's like a miracle. And then the last thing I would recommend is going back to kind of natural anti-inflammatories like your curcumin extract, your turmeric extract or boswellia. And the ones that I mentioned above, the Nutri-Advanced Curcumin Megazorb is a very good one. Um, Viridian, if you can't get that one, Viridian do one which is a curcumin complex which is a very good one as well so any of those natural anti-inflammatories will help but it will take time and do the roller and get your shoes Okay Anne says could you recommend a good iodine capsule as my thyroid is asleep is how Anne puts it so I'm assuming an underactive thyroid gland Could be that uh, Patricia and I see a lot of it and I often wonder is this um, is this you know a lot of people I would notice now out sort of um, west of Balancholic in Lestard and that sort of area I don't know if it's just because I get them coming into the shop here but I know a lot of them are on thyroid medication and I often wonder is it because there's a big deficiency of iodine maybe in the water supply out that way so if you feel your thyroid is underactive iodine is always a great way to start and you can take it in different forms kelp is a very natural form to take it and very safe to take it like that because it's seaweed so it's in a very balanced format and you'll get a lot of other minerals along with iodine that will help balance out so kelp tablets but I do have an iodine um, a liposomal iodine here in the shop which is very good Patricia now liposomal means that the iodine has been surrounded by a very thin layer of fat so your body finds it very easy to absorb and incorporate into cells so that would be another good one. It's um, it's again, it's the Nutri Advanced company. They do an uh, liposomal iodine drops, and then the other thing I would say for some people that maybe taking a more full body complex would help. So you can get lots of different thyroid combinations in the health shop, and they're made up of things like iodine, but also selenium. Now selenium is very important to convert the um, hormone, the non-active thyroid hormone, into the active hormone within the cells itself so some people may be deficient in selenium and if you're taking a thyroid medication like altroxin and you still feel no better try adding selenium to see if it's a conversion issue because sometimes that's the missing link and the thyroid supplements will have a lot of other things that are necessary for a healthy functioning thyroid as well. Okay, a listener is recommending a physio and carigaline uh, great treatment for plantar, fasci- plantar fasciitis. Is physio something you'd recommend as well? Absolutely Patricia anything that's causing the inflammation of that muscle if it's a gait issue if it's a fallen arch if it's an issue with you know tendons in your legs or something but absolutely if you can go to a good physiotherapy or even massage can help absolutely okay hi question for Annalise please my husband has very swollen ankles now he did have a big operation three months ago and he's on on a lot of meds so I don't know if that's all linked or not 
probably is, Patricia, and um, you have to be very careful when you're on a lot of medication taking any natural remedies. So make sure you go into your local health shop with the list of medications so they can check. But it sounds to me like water retention and what would be safe here would be a magnesium gel. You could keep it in the fridge to make it nice and cool and rub it on morning and evening. And that can help shift kind of water that is retained. Um, But it may be a side effect of the actual medication itself. Some of the blood pressure medications will cause cause fluid retention. Um, For people who aren't on a lot of medications, I find that uh, there is a great herb called Go-To Cola. G-O-T-U is the first name, and then the second bit is Cola, K-O-L-A. That can be wonderful for kind of retained fluid and for getting everything to move. Uh, Pucca is another company. They do a supplement called Glow, G-L-O-W, Glow. And that's a combination of different things. Actually, they put it in there for your skin, but there's Go-To-Cola and other things in there that are brilliant for water retention. And then the last thing I would recommend is a herbal tea that you can get by Heath and Heather. And it's dandelion, burdock and nettle, I think, or some hawthorn, actually, sorry, is in it. And that is, again, another great one for water retention. But be very careful with medications. OK, just check the medications. It seems to be a lot of people have suffered with plantar fasciitis. Somebody says, I bought a pair of insoles for my shoes specifically for plantar fasciitis. I moved them to whatever shoes I'm wearing. They're brilliant. Uh, What is needed is good support for under the arch of your foot. Uh, you can check out the insoles by going into Google uh, if you want to buy same. And that's the orthotics there. That's an insole. That's exactly what you were talking about. There's, well, I suppose the difference with orthotics, Patricia, is that they're very much fitted to your own particular arch and gait. So you get measured for them. Yeah. And I think if you're going to spend any kind of decent money, go on into the experts, into the shops. There's a couple like Foot Locker do it in Cork. There's another company out by the airport. They're really nice and helpful. Um, and they will they will tell you the best one, you know, and the best. Sometimes you may just need to buy a decent pair of shoes with a good support in there, um, which will be far less, obviously, than buying personalized orthotics. But I would definitely, having been there myself, I would say rather spend the money on one one good thing yeah. and then buy something kind of, you know, that's not specifically fitted for you on the internet. OK, and finally, Megan's five-year-old son has suddenly gone off meat. He's great to eat fruit, fruit, fruit and veg, but she said, I can't get any meat into him. I'm worried that he's going to be lacking. OK, so there's um, actually, Patricia, it's amazing how, how many of the young people have gone vegetarian and vegan for the sake of the planet. So we had um, uh, um, my stepson visit with six of his pals and they were all vegetarian recently. Well, so what age? They were they're in all in their early twenties. Okay, I have a lot of young vegan. adults. Okay. Yeah, young adults, and they're but this all. Is, this is this is a five year old little boy who's just gone off meat. Absolutely, but it is very possible to be a healthy vegetarian, and okay. there's huge options out there. So the only thing that he maybe could be deficient in possibly would be a bit of iron um, and vitamin B12. So you can get a vitamin B12 spray that tastes like mint is perfect and safe for young boys. And if he's eating plenty leafy greens like broccoli and uh, other leafy greens, lettuces, put lettuce into a sandwich, um, he will get uh, plenty iron in his diet. But if you're worried about that, 
There is a great supplement for children. It's the Floridix. It comes in a kind of an orange juice flavoured drink and there's B12 and iron in it and you could give a spoon of that every day. And then other than that, there's absolutely no issue with not eating meat. Don't be panicking. Okay, listen, Annalise, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for that. That's Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub uh, store of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic and her website address is healthhubstore.com. That's what we leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock onto the line. Patricia Messenger. Have a lovely afternoon and stay safe. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.